Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. It's Monday, November 22nd, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero, the one who puts the nomenclature. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Fraley, who's a fisheries ecologist with the Wildlife Conservation Society, and he's based in Fairbanks. And we are excited to talk about North America's northernmost true minnow, the lake chub. So welcome, Kevin. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. I've been really enjoying the uh, podcast. Awesome. Okay, so we do like to dig into the name a little bit. And what we've got here, and I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, is is it Cusius plumbius? That's the scientific name. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure the perfect pronunciation. I would say Cuisius plumbius, but I think that's close enough. Okay. I have to get a Latin expert, I guess, to say it perfectly. This is a genus that only has one species, which is the lake chub. And there's a number of chubs all across North America. But I guess just kind of to start things off, would you be able to describe this chub, kind of what it looks like in context of some of the other ones? Yeah, I grew up in Montana. Didn't really see many chubs there, but... I would see creek chubs in Pennsylvania when I went back to visit there. And a lot of the chub species look pretty similar. They're just kind of a, you know, not a particularly flashy fish. They're kind of shiny on the sides. They have pretty rough scales, kind of a fork tail, typically just a, a rounded head with a mouth that's built mainly for kind of sifting through things that are on the benthos, so on the, the lake bottom. And yeah, they're, you know, they're not as uh, beautiful as some of our Alaska fish species or palatable, but they're, they've got their own kind of, I guess, steely beauty to them. And they got lake in their name. And I assume that's due to some of their biology, but I guess, do you have any insights on that piece as well? Yeah, um, it's a pretty kind of a generic name, right? So in Alaska, they're found oftentimes in lakes, ponds, slow moving rivers. Like we here in interior Alaska, we find them a lot in in the Chena River and slow moving sections. They move through the, the Tanana River, which is a big glacial silty river. And then we find them a lot in local lakes like Harding Lake, Lost Lake, Birch Lake, and Quartz Lake. Their typical habitat, they kind of stick to the shallows. They don't go too deep into these lakes or rivers, and they don't like fast current. They're not particularly suited to swimming against the current like a salmon or something. They're, the way their body's shaped, they're not, not super hydrodynamic. So they're kind of just a little short, uh, stubby fish. They like to stay in, in cover, like in weedy areas near the shallows because they get, they get preyed upon by a lot of different things. So they're always kind of trying to hide out. So these fish are obviously a popular food fish for a lot of different species. What are some of the ways that they avoid predators or what are some of their adaptations to be, I guess, cognizant of what's going on around them? Well, the part of their way they get away from predators is just staying really close to cover where larger fish can't get into. But they also have what's called a Weberian apparatus, which is basically a connection between their swim bladder, which kind of regulates a fish's buoyancy in the water column, whether it's going to be near the bottom or up higher in the water column, and their ear bones or otoliths. And so that connection allows them to have this really heightened sense of, I guess, detecting vibrations in the water and hearing disturbances and also helps them to school with their buddies so that they can, you know, when there's more eyes and more senses out there with more fish, they can more easily detect something like a burbot coming after them or a lake trout or something. So yeah, they definitely have their, their little mechanisms to stay away from some of the, the predators. It's one of the largest families of fish in North America or in the world. 
And yet this is the only member that occurs in Alaska. And I was curious if you have any insights into why there aren't any other species up there. A lot of the, like the fish fauna in Alaska is based on what was able to survive when the whole area of Beringia was glaciated. So at one point, much of Alaska and the northern Canada and all over the place was covered in glacier and there wouldn't be any habitat for fish to survive. But there were certain pockets that remained ice free and had large lakes and this sort of thing. And those kind of reservoirs are where many of our species that we have now expanded from once that the glaciation receded. And for whatever reason, Lake Chub were the only Cyprinidae fish that we that we find up here. And it's only in the uh, the Yukon River drainage. So like the Yukon River and its tributaries, Tanana, Ninana, all these, these tributaries, you don't find it south of the Alaska Range or north of the Brooks Range, even though you know, the thermal tolerances, like the temperatures and conditions they can handle, or they can certainly, certainly would be able to live in those places. It's just, they never had the chance to expand into those, those regions. And a lot of that's because they're, they're not great swimmers. They don't move through marine areas. And so they're, they're basically just limited to the freshwater rivers and connections as to how they expanded throughout their range. But outside of Alaska, they're pretty widespread throughout Northern Canada even down into the lower 48. So they really expanded, you know, wherever they they spent time during that glaciated period, they really expanded out from there through the freshwater network, through different glacier lakes, glacial lakes that were connected at different times. So like down in the lower 48 states, you can find them in Montana, Washington, Idaho, even in like over in Michigan, New York, Maine, and then throughout a lot of Canada. Interestingly, they do occur in some of like the prairie areas, like South Dakota, um, Eastern Montana. They're even in Colorado. They're, they're actually endangered in Colorado just because they're at the edge of their range. So you mentioned they're eaten by a lot of different things. Burbot, pike, you know, bird species, so loons, even dragonflies when they're smaller. And what I, I did find was interesting is that it mentioned that these guys are host to many types of parasites that basically need them to complete their life cycle. So I don't know if either of you guys know anything about that, but I just, it kind of indicates how important they are to, to feed a bunch of different types of species. They definitely are really important in the, the food chain. While they're not, you know, not a very flashy fish, they're super important for ecologically because they kind of cover the, the base, the forage fish base for a lot of our really important sport fish that we like to catch. So so then what is the human interaction with these fish like? If they're kind of small, you got to imagine that people don't typically go after them for the sport. Are they possibly using them for bait? Or I know there's a micro fishing community that exists out there that might try and target them, but it seems like that's a long ways to go to maybe try and catch uh, such a little fish. Yeah, that's a good question. People don't really target them for any reason. You know, even like Alaska blackfish, which are another small body fish, they're actually used for subsistence food sometimes for feeding dogs or even people on occasion. But the lake chub, I've not found any records of people that use them for as a food fish. And I haven't really talked to anybody who's actually targeted them fishing except for myself. So, so <laughs> that's why we're talking to you. <laughs> yeah. So they're definitely um, underappreciated and they could be used for bait, but they're so small. They're only, you know, a large, very large one would be like five inches long you're not going to get a lot of bait out of them. And of course, in Alaska, you can't use live bait and you can't move around live fish, but you can, you know, legally these, these chubs are not a, a game fish species or a sport fish species. So there's no limit on how many you could catch, but yeah, for the micro fishing community, which I don't think there's many people that do that in Alaska, but it's basically this subculture of fishing where 
people love chasing after these less loved kind of cryptic fishes that nobody else is interested in just to kind of add to their, their lifelong species list, almost like birders that have a life list. Some people have um, fish life lists and they, mm -hmm. they're typically people like me that kind of appreciate a fish. You know, to me, every fish has something interesting or redeeming about it. When, when people look at a lake chub, they might not think that, but even these small bodied fish, there's always something cool you can find about them. And people just like, seeing these fish that you hardly ever see and handle. But yeah, these, this micro fishing thing is, is pretty neat. And I get into it as a, a fisheries biologist, just cause I love all, all the fish, even though some of them are a little less loved. You guys have a life list. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> Not really. I, I, you know, I, kind of informally keep track of the fish I catch on, on the fly, the species I catch, but it's not yeah. significant enough to really write it down. So, so if, if you were to fly fish, I know we're going to talk a little bit about fishing under the ice for these guys, but if you were to fly fish these, what kind of fly would you tie and what would it mimic? For these guys, how I've fly fished for them in the past is just, since they have such small mouths, you know, they're like a big one's five inches long. What you struggle with most is getting them to actually bite the hook or get it into their mouth enough that you can hook them. So I usually, I'd say like a size 16 or smaller um, nymph pattern that looks like an aquatic invertebrate because what these these chubs are eating are aquatic invertebrates like water boatmen, even down to zooplankton, uh, damselfly nymphs, that sort of thing. So any sort of small fly that, and it, usually you'd want a wet fly because they they don't hit this on the surface too often, but kind of get that down to them. And they're in this, this shallow weedy area. So what I do is I just dabble the fly on, on the end of my, my rod, just um, out over the little school of fish and you'll get a little pack that, that comes around your, uh, your hook there and chases it around. And most of them are too small to actually bite. They will nibble at it and run with it and you, you try to hook them and you can't, but eventually you'll find one that maybe it's five inches long or something that can actually eat the hook. And then you can just lift them out of the water. They'll chase the fly right up to you. So that's kind of fun to, to see them right close by. And then in terms of ice fishing, what's the time frame to fish them in the winter? And, you know, are you, I guess you're targeting them specifically, but if other people are fishing for say lake trout or burbot or something, what are some things they can do to be successful in the wintertime? Yeah. Um, so that's the first, that's kind of how I first ran into Lake Chubb is fishing for uh, fishing in stocked lakes around Fairbanks where we have stock trout, salmon, and, um, and these Lake Chubbs are in the same lakes. They're, they're native, but of course the, the stock fish are, you know, they're not, they never were in there, that species but they kind of, they cohabitate in these lakes. And so typically people are not targeting lake chub, but just fishing stock lakes for, for the little Chinook salmon stock or the rainbow trout. And then they encounter some lake chubs if they have a small enough jig that they can hook them. So like around the Fairbanks area, I like to go to Birch Lake, which is stocked with trout and salmon. And it also has these public ice fishing huts that I think the Alaska Department of Natural Resource rents out for like $20 a day or something. It's got a little stove in it and uh, uh, holes that you can use. And so that even if it's like negative 40 degrees here in Fairbanks, you can go there and do something and have fun and catch fish. But if I'm ice fishing I, on, on those lakes, I try to stay in the shallows because the lake chubs aren't going to be out deep. I like to go right on the edges of the, the weed. There's usually a, a weed line in the shallows where you go down to deeper water that's kind of featureless. And then you have the weed line and those chubs are typically in the weeds or right on the edge of the weeds where they're in there foraging and staying away from predators. I think you're allowed two lines here in the interior Alaska on stock lakes, so you can have two fishing poles. And one I'll have with a very, very small jig, like the, they're called ratso jigs. They just basically look like a little hook with a kind of a lead head and a little gummy plastic body type thing. And then I'll put a little bit of bait on there or smelly jelly, which is like a scent. And then what I like to do is you're in shallow enough water on this weed edge that you can actually 
peer down your hole, especially if you're in like a dark ice house. And you can actually see the little chubs come in and, and school around the hook and, and nab at it. It's really effective to try to hook them when you're actually seeing them, as opposed to just watching the rod tip, which sometimes you have to do and you, you wait for it to dip up and down to, to know that you have to bite. But these little guys grab the bait so quickly and spit it out. It's really hard to hook them just by going off the rod tip. So it's nice to actually view them biting at your, uh, your bait. Do you have your face like, you got your face right down to the ice, like you're just kind of looking in there? Yes, I've got a couple of pictures yeah. of me like laying down on the ice with my head down the hole, watching fish bites. And that, that's kind of how I like to do it. Okay. <laughs> but um, but if you're just wanting to, you know, look at the end of your rod, you want like a really sensitive ice fishing rod where you can see a fish that small biting. And you can also get what's called a spring bobber, which is just a kind of a length of wire that goes off the end of your ice fishing rod with a little indicator on the end. And that gives you some extra sensitivity if you really want to target lake chub. What do you get more excited about when you catch the lake chub or the other species? Oh, I get way more excited about the lake chub because I love native wild fish. You know, the, the stock trout are great to take home for dinner and whatnot, but I love catching those those native fish. And in these lakes, um, sometimes we'll catch like a slimy sculpin or whatnot as well when we're fishing for lake chub if you just put it right off the bottom. So it's just really fun to see those those little fish. They're so charismatic for being so small. And I do really love native fish. So I definitely prefer them over the, the stock trout. So while you're out there fishing, have you ever had any interactions with other people who are curious about what you're doing and been able to kind of talk to them, spread the gospel about non-game fishes or just have them give you funny looks while you're ice fishing right next to the bank? Well, yeah, usually when you're ice fishing, you're kind of in that dark hut, you know, and I'm, I'm releasing these fish most of the time. So people just don't, don't see them that much. But this last winter, we have this underwater drone for the Wildlife Conservation Society. And we deployed it through the ice at Birch Lake and we were swimming it around and finding lake chubs in the weeds. And we had quite a few fishermen come up and we were able to show them on the screen, these little lake chubs, which they didn't even know existed or were in this lake. So that was fun to get to show people a little bit about these, these fish that not many people know about. And um, they were excited to hear that you could, could catch them as well. Although they were not that excited once they, they learned you couldn't really eat them, but yeah. And then, and then having them at the um, university of Alaska Fairbanks aquarium, whenever a visitor came in, they were always pretty interested in the, the lake chubs because no, nobody really sees them unless they're catching fish like we are as fish biologists. So, Have you ever eaten a lake chub? No, I, yeah, I was just thinking about <laughs> that. You know, maybe you could uh, like pickle them. You know, people do like smoked or pickled herring. But the Cyprinidae family in general is not known for its palatability. Uh, most people consider like chubs and carp and, you know, any species like that to be not really something they want to eat. But, uh, you know, I'm always up to try it. Like I... You used to catch long nose suckers back in Montana, and I always wondered what they tasted like. Everybody said, "Oh, they're, I'm sure they're horrible," and tried them out, and they were. They were a little mushy and bony, and I'd expect that's probably what lake chub are like. But yeah, it might be worth trying to trying to pickle a couple of them if, if I catch them. But I do like them a lot. I, it's a hard time for me to, to actually kill one. I like seeing them and letting them go. But, but it, it would be a worth a try, just in an academic sense, to see if they might be uh, palatable. It's funny. You you bring up uh, long nose sucker. When we were putting that episode together, I had said, I think sort of offhanded that they, they probably don't taste any good, but I, I had never tasted one. And so there's a big debate among us about whether or not we should I leave that part in. I got that one. Yeah. I was like, you don't know. You don't know. Eventually we cut it out. So I feel a little bit vindicated there that they actually don't taste all that great. Well, we don't know, guy. We got to we gotta try it out now. Well, 
Yeah, they're very bony. <laughs> that was, that's the problem. Just tons of little bones. You just eat them. I'm, I'm going to take Kevin's word for it. <laughs> I mean, that said, I'm sure if you get one of these Michelin chefs or whatever, they could probably make it taste all right. I think if you fry, just fry them. Fry, I'll, I'm going to try to eat one now. Yeah, it's worth a try. And I guess carp, you know, people in the U.S. think that they're trash fish, but in Asia, people love eating them. So it's a lot of it's like kind of the cultural stigma around things. And you don't really know until you try or if you cook it the right way, like you're saying. You've mentioned a couple of times kind of their charisma. Are there any other behaviors that are interesting? I was reading a little bit about like spawning behaviors and stuff like that, but are, are there anything that you think people would be interested to kind of hear about? Because that is one thing about just fish in general. They're, once you start watching them, if you take the time to do so, they have some pretty neat things that they do. Yeah, well, we got pretty lucky in that we, when I was at UAF, University of Alaska Fairbanks, we had a native fish aquarium. So we had a permit to go out and collect certain native species to put in the aquarium. And we actually caught a couple of the lake chubs out of Birch Lake near town and brought them back to the aquarium. But the the chub were pretty, like I said, pretty gregarious and social. They're schooling fish and they seem to hang out with, you know, those other fish species pretty well, as long as those other fish aren't trying to eat them. Yeah. But yeah, just watching those lake chub, they move through the water column a lot and they're very bold. Like if you, I had some bloodworms, I was feeding the fish, I would just dapple it on the surface and they'd come up and nibble your fingers. So it just seems like they're almost like, the equivalent of like a gray jay that we have here in Alaska, where they're, they're very familiar with humans and they'll come up and they're kind of social. And so I just thought that was really neat to, that these little lake chubs are so friendly, it seems like, once uh, yeah. you, you build a rapport with them when you're feeding them. As a fish biologist, what would you say to someone who isn't into fish and they see in other parts of the country of all these different types of chubs and shiners and minnows and they oftentimes look very similar it can be hard for someone without proper training to tell them apart what what would you say about this the diversity to those people and why they should care about it and why it's so cool if you care about beautiful clean wild places lake chubs are considered an indicator species for prairie stream ecosystems down in the lower 48 so if you like kind of intact prairie streams if somebody values that if you find lake chub in these streams, you can know that the water is fairly clean and, and clear of contaminants and doesn't get dewatered on a basis that would you know not support fish. So they can all be important in some way, either ecologically or for as an indicator species like that. All right. Well, this was fun talking with you, Kevin. And yeah, we hope everybody gets out there and enjoys all the fish. And if you're curious about microfishing, it's a great way to learn about some of those less known species that are super cool. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore, production management by Gabriella Montaguin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.